This Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Hughes Network Systems, delivering innovation for civilian and military connectivity. It is time to expect more from your network. Today on Government Matters, budget season for the Pentagon heats up in Washington. Two four-stars break down what they've seen and what you should watch. The job skills the Homeland Security Department needs most. The DHS Chief Learning Officer explains why they're not the skills you might think. And the number one story of the week, Congress hits the pause button on its number one job, funding the government. Two financial management experts tell you what comes next. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Budget and authorization seasons officially underway in Washington. All of the military services made their budget cases to congressional committees this week. But the discussions and the negotiations still have a very long way to go. General Carter Hamm, U.S. Army retired, is president and CEO of the Association of the U.S. Army. He's former commander of U.S. Africa Command. General Norton Schwartz, U.S. Air Force retired, is president of the Institute for Defense Analyses. He's former chief of staff of the Air Force. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. General Ham, you first. What are your biggest takeaways from this week's hearings for both the Army and for all of the services, sir? Well, Francis, thanks for, for inviting me to join you. You know, study after study over the past several years have, have reported that the Defense Department needs 3 to 5% real growth to keep a pace with the emerging threats that, that the United States faces. This defense budget doesn't do that. Uh, in the case of the Army, uh, the budget declines uh, from previous years uh, by about $3.5 billion, that's real money, uh, and by about $13 billion from just two years ago. That has a significant effect on the ability of the Army to fulfill, uh, like the other services, its ever-expanding set of missions. The second thing I would note, Francis, is, is not only is the amount of money, the amount of budget is, is important, but the timing is critical. Uh, because the budget was rolled out so late, uh, Congress has uh, many responsibilities. Uh, the likelihood is that we will see yet again uh, the budget not approved in time to begin the fiscal year. That is detrimental uh, to the Department of Defense and to those industries and businesses that support defense. Uh, General Ham, we'll talk about the CR and the potential for one later in our conversation and later in this program. General Schwartz, welcome. Your takeaway from General Brown, Acting Secretary Roth, and uh, General Raymond before uh, appropriating and authorizing committees this week. I think that the major themes for this really are a departure from what has been an operationally oriented joint force to one that is more postured and, and looking forward to fielding a, a, an approved and a more advanced force for threats we currently and will certainly face in the near-term future. And so there is substantially more uh, research and development and a focus on attempting to eliminate some of the legacy capabilities which are less relevant uh, in, in the near-term future. And so an example uh, I, I might uh, highlight for you is that we're, we're talking about 
bringing on uh, multi-mission platforms, at least in the Air Force. This is true, I think, in the Navy as well, and, and trying to uh, eliminate or at least uh, reduce the inventory of those platforms that are single mission focused and therefore not as versatile. Uh, General Schwartz, you note the Navy and apologies to our Navy and Marine Corps friends that I couldn't accommodate uh, a, a, one of your peers to join us to talk about that service, and I look forward to doing that on a future edition of this program. General Schwartz, this idea of retiring legacy systems has been something that all of the services have attempted over the years with minimal success. Congress, of course, tells you what you get money for and what you get to do with it. How does one articulate a case well to Congress uh, when they have constituencies to satisfy about retiring something legacy? No pr program in particular, but just in general, sir. It is difficult to persuade folks that a promise is better than a bird in the hand. Uh, you know, that is that is clear. But, but you have to articulate what the logic is, what the game plan is, and also communicate a sense of conviction that you're actually going to feel this improved and, and, and more advanced capability going forward. A case in point, perhaps for the Air Force is B-21. I don't think there's any doubt on the part of, of the uh, legislators on Capitol Hill about the level of conviction the Air Force has for that capability and, and a number of others. And so those who will lose some current or legacy capability need to be persuaded that there are successor capabilities that, uh, that will compensate for the potential loss of, of uh, platforms in a particular location and of course the jobs associated with that. So I think this is the logic of the plan and the conviction that surrounds that program. General Ham, we have about a minute left. You mentioned the CR and you mentioned also that this, uh, the budget request that exists today would be about three and a half billion dollars less than what the Army received last fiscal year. Is there potentially a silver lining for the Army that a CR would at least keep it funded at the current levels? No, I don't think there's any goodness in a CR, Francis. Uh, certainly the amount of money would, would potentially be helpful, but, but it's likely that the Congress will place caps on, uh, on that in, in any event. It is the amount of money and the predictability. And as General Schwartz noted, the investment in research development, but for the Army in this budget, that amount is also reduced. So not only is procurement reduced for the Army, but research and development is as well. That's the investment in the future. And that's really what I'm concerned about with this budget. General Ham, General Schwartz, thanks very much for your knowledge and insight today. I appreciate your time very, very much. Thanks, Francis. Coming next, thousands of new employees coming at Homeland Security. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the skills the agency needs most may not be what you think. You're watching 7 News. Welcome back. The Department of Homeland Security will take a new look at how it trains its new recruits and its current employees 
as a result of the pandemic. The department's doing its evaluation as it prepares to hire thousands of new employees across its components. Clotilda Taylor is Chief Learning and Engagement Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. Clo, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. How did the pandemic change the way that you're thinking about recruiting, retaining, and training and upskilling employees across the department? Hi, sir. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, if I could answer that very quickly, I would say that a large part of our efforts during the pandemic uh, was to retain our workforce and, and help employees feel less isolated, was to promote our employee association programs, uh, which is also led by employees. Um, it consists of employees who are drawn together by a common interest or towards our DHS mission. And we actually have been able to recruit because word of mouth sometimes is one of the best ways to, re to recruit. And we've been able to recruit and retain folks and benefit organizations by expanding our recruitment efforts through our uh, employee uh, associations programs. Uh, you talked recently about what you need moving forward and you said that the soft skills, especially critical thinking, is uh, the most important thing that you need when you're looking for employees and when you're, when you're upskilling the employees you have now. What's the role of an organization like DHS in helping develop skills like critical thinking in the people you already have, Chloe? Absolutely. Um, as you as you well aware, I'm sure that those soft skills, some of them are already part of our competency here at DHS. But we want to see more of the communication style of our skills to customer service. And all of those skills are managing and also managing relationships has been critical uh, to keeping us connected uh, during this time frame. And we truly believe that if you don't have that communication skills where you're able to build relationships and keep those um, collaboration events going, then you're not going to be you're not going to be ready for the task at the end. So those are the soft skills that we're really looking for. You've cited resilience as an important element too, and it sounds to me like if one has the skills that you just outlined, those mm -hmm. are critical to helping someone continue to be resilient. Am I on the right track? You're absolutely. And if I could use the word adaptability there, I would definitely put that word as well that word in there because that's exactly what we all have to be. It's very adaptable. So how do you train to resilience and adaptability? Is that a skill that one can learn? And is that a skill that, that an organization like DHS or the components can teach, Chloe? Well, it, it is. It is a, it's, it's part of a skill. A lot of that is almost learned behavior also of who you are as a, per, as a person. What we have decided that we're going to be more intentional. We're going to work together, emphasizing more teamwork, more team building, so we can look for folks and 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 figure out and and figure out who's who's that person that's really resilient and how can we put them in cohorts, put them in tiger teams where they can spend more time helping to grow others. You provide those opportunities that allow expedition. I mean, I'm sorry, explore exploration, and and that way they give it. They give them an opportunity to prepare them before they transition into other roles or support them in, in their continuous learning opportunities. You uh, also cited the importance of understanding data analytics. What is it that and, and what uh, what is it that employees need to know about data analytics? How far down into the weeds do you want your people to get? Obviously, it's dependent on what you expect them to do. But how far into the data analytics field do you want to take some people? Well, data, data analytics is a way for us to to quickly evaluate 
conditions and develop options. And, and it's, like, it's like everything now. We're collecting data in every area. Within the Department of Homeland Security, and especially within Chico, we're working fully to utilize data through analytics to uncover meaningful and actionable human capital insights. And those insights, such as identifying factors that would optimize workforce planning, increase employee engagement, or prepare our organization for future of work. How are you going about collecting that data and how do you parse it to make sure that it's clean and you're making decisions off data that really is telling you what you think it's telling you? Well, because it's so critical, we're using surveys. We're using, um, we actually use our, our pulse surveys that we use. We use exit interviews. We use uh, data analytics um, skill, I mean, systems that pick up on those data. And we actually go directly to our employees and get feedback directly from them because we feel like they're the ones who's working this. They would know uh, more important, they would know more so than anyone else because it's so critical. Additionally, our world is changing so rapidly, we must be able to keep and make faster decisions based on some of the data that we're collecting. Are you learning anything from that data, Chloe, that you didn't expect to see at the before you dug into it? Yes, we are. We're learning that people do love what they do. We're learning how and what's important to them. What do they really need in order to get their jobs done? And I think that has been one of the most fascinating things for us. It's like, what do you really need? Is it just do you need more pencils or I'm being facetious, but it, what is that, that thing that you really just need to get your job done? So we really are learning a lot from that perspective. We have about a minute left. What, what do you expect your, your overall learning and engagement portfolio to look like a year from now after things are as close back to normal as they're going to be uh, post-pandemic and then maybe even two and three years out? Yeah, I think um, you're right. As, as, as best we can describe, I do believe that here at DHS, what it will look like is we'll have a more intentional workforce, we'll be more flexible, we'll be more adaptable, and we'll be in a position where we can make sure that folks are comfortable, they have their work-life balance in place, and they're able to give their very best in, in their workplaces. Because I think you wanna go from good to great, but you also wanna make sure that folks are feeling comfortable and they feel like they can take care of things at home with their children, with their family, and then give you their best, very best when they come to work. Clotilda Taylor of DHS, thanks very much for joining me. It's great to see you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Coming next, the number one story of the week. Here we go again, a continuing resolution coming into focus. Straight ahead on Government Matters, two federal financial management experts on what you should do now to get ready for October 1st. You're watching 7 News. Now, the number one story of the week, the chairman and the ranking member of the Senate Appropriations Committee agree the budget process is starting later than ever this year. That means at least one continuing resolution is likely, and Senate Appropriations ranking member Richard Shelby says, quote, it's going to be a long winter. Kathleen Turco is director at CGI. She's former chief financial officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs and the General Services Administration. Ariane Whittemore is managing director at Grant Thornton Public Sector. She's former assistant deputy commandant of the Marine Corps for programs and resources. Friends, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. KT, I start with you. What are the ramifications for financial managers for another CR, and what should they start doing now to prep for October 1? 
Well, thanks for having me on, Francis. Um, I'm sure they're prepping right now what they're looking at if you're a, a budget director or a CFO and working with OMB, um, you're, you're looking at multiple tracks. <clears throat> you're planning as if you will get uh, an appropriation on, on October 1, but you have to plan for the CR as well. So there's a lot of work that goes into a CR in terms of the formula, how you go through and uh, assess uh, your daily rates, et cetera. Uh, it's a lot of work. In the meantime, remember, <clears throat> many agencies have received a um, uh, the pandemic aid. So they're working through a very large execution year here in fiscal year 21. So they were hoping for 22, it would be a little bit smoother. Um, but with uh, the negotiations that are going on between the infrastructure bill um, and the 22 uh, submission, $6 trillion is a very large budget that Congress is going to, uh, to, have, to have to work through. Ariane, welcome back. It's great to see you. Is the track that KT laid out different in the military uh, than it is in the services than it is on the civilian side? It is not materially different, Francis. Um, the Department of Defense operates under a continuing resolution in a very similar manner as the um, other agencies. I think the biggest difference is they have ongoing operations that impact around the world. And as you have real world operations and you think about how you keep those going during continuing resolution, that is a little bit of a complexity. I also think this year is a little different um, in that uh, many agencies starting on 1 October might still have a significant amount of their workforce uh, working virtually. And so the communications and the way of operating under CR uh, may have to change a little bit um, in this more virtual environment than the last time they've operated under CR. Uh, but overall, the Department of Defense operates very similarly. Um, but the other thing I'd say is um, the Defense Department is looking at some pretty significant changes. Um, in their FY22 budget from how they operate today. And of course, under continuing resolution, you have no new starts. So all of those programs, which they had hoped to begin on 1 October, will get delayed. Ariane, that observation about the workforce is interesting because it's, I hadn't considered that, but you're exactly right. The nature of the completion of the work will be completely different in uh, October than it was the last, uh, last October. KT, what's the implication of that for what financial managers and the people that you interact with as a CFO, the other CXOs across the agencies, what should, you be, what should they be thinking about now when it uh, regards their workforces? So in regards to their workforce and, and the overall work is, is what, who and what do they need starting in October 1, what will change, but also what will remain the same. So they're just now working through and OMB is in the processes of updating you know, telework plans um, and what the opportunities are gonna be for telework. Is it gonna be hybrid? Uh, will there be certain positions that are have to come back on board? And how do you plan for those? And how would that then get computed into a CR, right? A continuing resolution is gonna be at the 21 level, uh, operating level. So how will that look for 2022? And how does that get uh, accommodated? So working across um, the CFOs are having to work with the C-suite and the program managers uh, to, to determine how they're going to operate on October 1 and if there are any differences. Of course, if you look at the 22 budget submission, uh, President Biden has asked for, through the American Families Plan and through the American Jobs Plan, he has asked for a significant increase, uh, almost $5 trillion, $6 trillion, that's gonna impact the civilian agencies. 
Um, and so then there's a huge amount of planning that goes in with that type of budget increase. And so on top of everything else they're doing, they're now looking at what they're gonna need to do for 2022. But of course, there's no new starts, there's no funding uh, for that. So they're gonna have to juggle getting through this year, starting into the CR and continuing to plan for the 22 uh, budget increases. Ariana, who is the who is the CFO's best friend, the financial manager's best friend in navigating a continuing resolution? And it's your legal counsel. Um, I will tell you that um, throughout the continuing resolution process, um, your legal counsel should be at your right right hand um, to ensure that everything that you plan and, and do during that CR period um, is within the statutes. A continuing resolution is pretty consistent, as Katie pointed out. Um, you operate at the prior year's level, but sometimes there are some anomalies um, allowed by OMB and the Congress in terms of additional funding, some new starts, things like that. And so having a legal counsel at your right hand is very important. Ariana, KT, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. You're very welcome, Franklin. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview and a recap of every show when you sign up for our daily newsletters, you can do it now. You just enter your email in the red box on the website. I'm back in two minutes. Finally today, a personal message to Francis Sr. Happy Father's Day. I love you, Dad. To Francis III, thank you for making me such a proud father. I love you too. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by James Mahoney and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrice Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group. You have been listening to the Government Matters Podcast, sponsored by Hughes Network Systems. Stay tuned for a brief interview with Tony Bardo of Hughes. Tony Bardo is Assistant Vice President for Government Solutions at Hughes. Tony, it's great to talk to you again. I thought of you the other day because I saw another agency make an award on the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract at General Services Administration. You have been telling me for a long time about how important this contract is. Why is it so important, Tony? It's so important because the agencies have been dealing with 20-year-old network technology 
um, for 20 years. And, and basically, this is their opportunity to use this important contract to modernize the network, to keep up with constituents who are demanding more digital-centric services. And the government needs the, the network to, uh, to step up to those uh, expectations. This is a long-term contract. How is it built so that when Hughes rolls out something cool, say, five years from now, that the agencies will be able to access that? The agencies will be able to leverage new technologies that come down the line during the life of this contract? GSA has got a good plan for that. They've got a plan for the on-ramping of, of services. Uh, frankly, the, the, the current SD-WAN movement is an example of that. SD-WAN did not exist when EIS was awarded. But GSA has been working hard with the agencies and with the primes to add these services. So what's important is that the agencies demand that the, um, that, that the primes offer various kinds of SD-WAN solutions. There are a number of them out there. They need to not just offer their direct example, examples of uh, proprietary services, but there are multiple platforms. Agencies should really meet with the primes and say, here's what I want, here's, what I want to, here's where I want to go over the next 10 to 15 years. Time is of the essence, it strikes me, Tony, because uh, there's a countdown clock going here for agencies to get these contracts awarded. Um, if you're just starting this process at the beginning, first of all, shame on you, I guess. But um, secondly, what's the role of the vendor to help uh, uh, an agency move the ball? Well, I think, I think the idea here is to, if you haven't gotten started yet, make sure you're asking the right questions of industry, that you're asking for the right kind of services. If you're still s stuck on an RFP or a format that asks for older technology, there are, and, and there are unfortunately, Francis, a number of RFPs and fair opportunities out there that have asked for the old stuff. And it's it's like, the, the to, to some extent, I'm, I'm, I'm advocating for timeline be damned, you ought to, Stop, stop the presses, start over again and recast the requirement to reflect what's, what's needed, uh, what agencies should expect from their networks today. We just have uh, 20 seconds left, Tony. You have, you're casting this as an opportunity for agencies to transform the way they do things and not just write a new contract, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's critical. It's the right time. The technology is very, very fresh and can carry the agencies for a long time forward. Tony Bardo of Hughes, great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you, Francis.